bow your heads with me right now. Let's pray. Come on, every head, bow every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before your presence, declaring your greatness over our lives, declaring your goodness over us, Father God. We ask you now as your people are here, God, as we've been worshiping and finding our way into your presence, Lord, that you would open our spiritual ears, Father God, to hear the word that which you have placed upon our hearts, Father God, the word that you have predestined before you laid the foundations of the earth to be upon your people, God. We come against every distractive spirit in the name of Jesus. We come against every weapon formed against this service, Father God, in the name of Jesus. We come against every plan and attack of the enemy. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, Amen. I, uh, me and some of the staff members have been working on a new series we were going to start this week, but for a number of reasons, and we've been working on this series for maybe close to uh, eight, nine weeks, and it's an eight-week series, and we decided to just push it back a little bit because the Lord has placed some things upon my heart that I think it's so important for the church to get back in touch with. Amen. Over the course of my time as a pastor, the last five years, I've fixated on the first few chapters of the book of Acts. The book of Acts, which is after the book of uh, um, John, it comes after Luke, rather it's written by Luke, and, and Luke writes this book of Acts, and it's all the records of the early church. It, it talks about the formation of the church. It talks about how the Holy Spirit came down, and I want to take the next few weeks and look at how God worked through the book of Acts, amen? I want to talk about the birth of the church as we know it. The picture of the church before it was perverted with religion and doctrine. Before it got fixated on theology and everything else that had nothing to do with what Jesus' primary, original intention was for the church. In my heart, as a person, as a person, forget that I'm a pastor, forget that I love God. In my heart, as a person, is a deep-seated longing to see the power of God as we read of in the Scripture. Displayed in a generation that needs him more than ever. In the deepest part of my spirit, I have a longing to see God's power displayed through miracles, signs, and wonders in this insolent generation. In this stubborn generation, my heart's desire is just like 12 disciples and a hundred and some odd people stood in the upper room that a group of people would raise up and stand together as one in order to see God move in our generation. To see a revival outside of me being a pastor, my inner spirit, my inner man, the essence of who I am, it hungers and thirsts after righteousness. I seek after God. I desire God in my deepest heart. We were meant to be wielding the power of God as followers of Christ. We've heard so many things and we've heard so many times that the church has become desensitized to the spirit the supernatural we believe it was just for the bible days but i would challenge you that he is the same yesterday today and forever he is the same yesterday today and forever my desire is to see the lame man walk to see the blind healed on their side i've been at meetings and church services where blind people were healed a little girl born blind or rather excuse me born deaf and in an instant God opened her ears I've seen it I've been there I've 
experienced it, but I want to see it happen here in our city, in our location. I want to see God move here. Is your version of Jesus big enough for him to still have authority and power, not just in your life, but over your life? Is your, is your kind of Jesus, is this gospel that you declare big enough and powerful enough to shake the foundations of this sinful city? Is your Jesus big enough to be able to reach thousands and to see lifelong bondages broken? Is your Jesus big enough or is he just a fake plastic Jesus? Do you serve a real God or do you serve some repetitious thing of a God? Do you serve a man-made image of God or do you serve the real God of the Bible? It's not enough for men of God to know God's word, but to know the God of the word. To be able to experience the power they saw. To be able to see the things he witnessed. To be able to do the things that Christ did. My deepest desire is to see him move. This is what keeps me up at night. This unquenchable thirst that wakes me up at four in the morning compels me to seek him. It's this thing that I I have this this deep-seated heart that says, God, I just want to see you move. I don't care about the things of this world. I don't care about where I live. I don't care about how nice my car is or how nice my house is. I don't... I just want something tangible from the presence of God. I just want God himself. I I was born for one purpose, and that was to see God move throughout my life into the lives of others. I'm not concerned with the material things of this world. I'm not concerned with entertaining myself. Entertainment is Satan's replacement for God's supernatural joy that is only found in prayer. I'm not here to be entertained. I'm here to seek after God's heart. I don't care who likes me. I don't care who does. I don't care who doesn't. All I want is God. All I desire is God. We see in the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus has ascended into heaven. But before he left, he, he kind of gave him a last thing. And he said, listen, my, my father, he's going to send you a comforter. He's going to send you a comforter if you would wait. And, and we, we read in chapter 2 is, is they've been waiting for 10 days now. The disciples have climbed up into an upper room with, a, with about 120 people and they waited for 10 days. Jesus was around for 40 days and, and he, he died at the time of Passover and 50 days later was Pentecost. And so he was alive 40 days on this earth. So they waited 10 days, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. They were all together. In one place. I'm not going to preach on unity today. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting in. The song we just sang, it says that this place erupt with praise. The Holy Spirit never shows up in a trickle. He never shows up just piece by piece. He just comes in and blows in the place and everything in a moment is changed. Everything in the blink of an eye is changed. I call it the suddenlies of God. You look at the book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel says that God placed me in the valley of dry bones. And then God said, can this happen? I said, only you know God. And the Bible says, suddenly suddenly the bones began to attach to each other tendons and skin and meat came and there stood before me a vast army look throughout the scripture some of the greatest moves of God are depicted with the word suddenly God doesn't come in in a trickle he comes suddenly we've preached a sugar-coated gospel that you can change your life in a trickle God comes and suddenly you're supposed to be changed suddenly addiction 
addictions are broken. I've seen people say, Pastor, I gave my life to God. Never touched another cigarette in my life. And I have others that say, I'm struggling. God knows my heart. I would say you might have a plastic Jesus. It's not a real representation of God. Struggling with the same things you've been doing for so long. That's not Jesus. That's a form of godliness, but not the power thereof. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Realized the Holy Spirit comes in as one, then separates into others. The Holy Spirit separates himself into others. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each other. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. First, he's called the Holy Spirit immediately after just the Spirit. That's key. Because when the Holy Spirit first shows up, he brings the holiness of God. He brings the holiness of God. It says in verse 5, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these men who are speaking Galileans? For those who don't know what I'm saying, is when the Spirit hit the disciples. They began to actually speak in languages they did not know. I'm not talking about the tongues we speak today that no one can interpret, no one knows what they mean, and we say the same one all the time. I'm talking real Holy Ghost. I heard a story of a missionary. He was over in Africa as a missionary in like the, the, the bush. They were about to kill him, and he began to speak in tongues, and the moment he began to speak in tongues, he was speaking in their language. That's the Holy Spirit. This is the tongues that we see in the early church. Tongues that were able to be understood and translated. And they were utterly amazed. Verse 7, aren't these men who are from Galilee? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So at this time was a time of Passover and Pentecost, one of the biggest Jewish feasts. And Jews from all over the world had come back to Jerusalem. They were from Parthia, it says here in verse 10. From Egypt, from Libya, Cyrene, Cappadocia, Judea, Mesopotamia, Pontus. They were from all over. But yet they heard men declaring the wonders of God in their own language. That's Holy Ghost power. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Meaning at the same moment that they were excited, they were confused. They were wondering, what is going on? What, what is going on in my life? Verse 13, some however made fun of them and said they had too much wine. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. For the sake of time, I'll paraphrase. Peter at this point preaches the first message of the gospel after Jesus. He preaches the first message of the gospel under the unction of the Holy Spirit. He told them of all the prophecies throughout the Old Testament concerning Jesus. With the help of the Holy Spirit, Peter releases the fullness of the message of Jesus on these people. And what happened next is some of the most powerful words in the Bible. It says, when the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers what shall we do and Peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus 
Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, all who are far off, all who are far from the Lord our God, whom he would call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day 3,000 were added to their number. In one moment, 3,000 people came to Christ. It wasn't a planned event. It wasn't an advertised. It had no Facebook, had no Twitter. They didn't have a bunch of church cards advertising them. They didn't have a bunch of posters all over the place. They didn't have radio stations. They didn't have TV. They didn't pull out ads. They didn't walk around town telling everybody the Holy Spirit attracted them. The Holy Spirit attracted them. This is the problem. The Holy Spirit fell and nothing was ever the same since then. As I prayed this entire week, I kept going before the Lord and my prayer has been to see God move and to see this type of thing happen all over again in this generation. For if in a moment 3,000 were added to the church and 3,000 got saved in one day, what he did then, he can do now. I was praying all week and the Lord impressed it upon my heart that people forget one thing, that the Holy Spirit is exactly what it says. He's holy. He's holy. The Holy Spirit came in among the disciples and with him, he brought the presence of God. The glory of God came with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a part of the triune nature of God. He is God in and of himself. He is another representation of God. He is not a lesser figure. He's not something smaller. He's not the little stepbrother. He's God. He's God. And he came in the Holy Spirit. They could have called him the Spirit, but he's the Holy Spirit. The greatest thing the Holy Spirit did was bring holiness to the church. And I want to talk to you today how the church has lost holiness. The church and all the disciples in that day were under the power of the Holy Spirit. The first thing the Spirit did was fall on them like fire. He blew them into that place and he changed the way they talked, giving them other tongues. This is the effect of the holiness of God. It touches your mouth because your mouth is a valve to your heart. And what is in your heart, the Bible says, comes out the mouth. This is the effect of the holiness of God. You look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, when Isaiah has his revelation of heaven. And the Bible says that Isaiah, he saw this huge worship scene in heaven. You all know he saw angels standing before the presence of God. He saw elders bowing. He saw other angels flying and beating upon the wind. And he was saying, all the angels cried out was holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They could have said he's loving. They could have said he's awesome. He's glorious. He's amazing. But they said, no, he is holy. And here comes Isaiah. He walks into the presence of God, into the holiness of God, into the holiness of God. And instantly, he's not hit with condemnation. He's hit with conviction. And in an instant, he is realized that he, even though a godly man, he, even though a prophet, he, even though a man who would want to do God's will, even then, he realized his sinfulness. He realized how messed up he was. He said, I am a man of un." clean lips he thought he would die because he had seen the presence of God he said woe to me I am ruined 
doing for I am a man of unclean lips. I think a big problem with the church these days is that folks don't want to be ruined before God. You want to walk in the church and you want to gain all your problems and all your issues and you want to kind of have God just put all your issues and the pain aside but you want to leave living the same. You want to still be sinful. You want to still have a carnal heart. And he says, no, if you come into my presence, I am holy. I demand holiness. It's not an option. And you see the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in the, in the book of Isaiah chapter 6 that an angel came to Isaiah with a burning coal and he touched his lips and the first thing he did was he cleansed his mouth. When he said mouth, what he was referring to was the condition of his heart because the Bible says from out of the mouth overflows the heart. And he, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. And at this moment we see in the New Testament when the holiness of God fell in the church, the first thing the Holy Spirit did was he changed their language. He changed their language. If you look at the interactions of God, when people realized God, when people had a revelation of God, you see the book of Job, he was talking all types of foolishness to God, and God shows up in the scene, Job 42, verse 5, and Job says, I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now I see you, and now I despise myself, and I repent in the dust and in the ashes. Job, he was, God, I'm mad at you. I don't know what's wrong with me. Now, now I'm going to go against God. And now the presence of God hits Job. And Job says, oh, my God, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Their reaction to God's presence is one of humility and awareness of impurity. Peter, the one who preached on the day of Pentecost when he first met Jesus, God in the flesh, exposed to his sheer power God Jesus worked the miracle on Peter's behalf and in Luke 5 8 it says this but when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man I am a sinful man realize this is not feeling condemned in God's presence because that's not what his presence does. John 3, 17 says, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but yet when you stand in comparison to a holy God, you cannot help but realize your imperfections. You cannot help but realize all the shortcomings of your life. You cannot help but realize. Holy means to be set apart for God, set apart for his bidding, set apart for his doing, to be consecrated, pure, and without impurity. Imagine you're invited to go out to eat with someone. I say, hey, Mel, come on with me. Me and the wife tomorrow, 7 o'clock, picking you up. We're going to dinner. And Mel says, all right, I'll, I'll go with you. And him and his wife hopping in our car with their TJ Maxx special. There's nothing wrong with TJ Maxx. Nothing wrong with that. And they hop in the car with their TJ Maxx special. And here I am, a little dressed up. I'm like, oh, it's, it's that kind of party, Pastor? Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And they get to this place and they get to this ball that I'm taking them to. And I go to the trunk and I pull out a jacket, a suit jacket. And I go to the trunk and, and once we go inside into this place, everyone's wearing tuxedos. And everyone is wearing all these different types of ball gowns and all these things. And all the women are really dressed up and all the men are really dressed up. And, and suddenly, Mel's going to feel like, I'm out of place. He'll probably be in the corner just like, I'm out of place. I don't know how Christians get into God's presence feeling in place. I understand.
understand the Bible says we go before him boldly. But boldly means with reverence, with fear of God, with trembling, understanding he is God. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. In the presence of God, sinless angels hide their face. In the presence of God, pure creatures are afraid. In the presence of God, every knee bows except in the church. In the presence of God, all things are made new. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. In the presence of God, there's power. In the presence of God, there's fire. In the presence of God, there's perfect peace that surpasses all understanding. And I would challenge you that some of us have exchanged, we've exchanged the joy of God for the entertainment of this world. We've exchanged it. We're called to be set apart, to live holy lives in the presence of a holy God. We can't think just because we are forgiven that we don't have to a need to live up to a standard of holiness. This is the missing ingredient today. We've been called to live set apart unlike others to be lights in the dark world. We have not been called to blend in but to stand out. Holy means to be set apart. Set apart for what? For the purpose of God. For the works of God. We are to live lives that don't mimic the world but they are lived after God's heart. We've entered into a generation of church, a generation of Christians where everything just seems to be all right. Conviction of sin is gone. Cheap grace is dispensed like this is a dollar machine and people come in and they live how they want and they come back on Sunday morning and you think that God's just going to say, forgive you, forgive you. And God is gracious. Yes, God is gracious. And God, yes, he is infinite. But don't intermingle the attributes of God because although God is infinite and although God is gracious, his grace is not infinite he said I will not tarry with man forever my spirit will not tarry with man forever there's got to be change in your life there's got to be holiness if you're new here this may sound rough but I have to get to the basis of a foundational problem with the church of Jesus Christ not just us it's across the board that holiness is no longer looked at as something needed where we come in and go as we please where God is not reverenced and God is not honored, I would challenge you, you might have a plastic Jesus. If we can get back to being holy, we can get back to seeing people healed. If you can get back to being holy, we're all looking for the way of not to live a painful life, not to have hurt and rejection. Let me tell you, church, Jesus did not come and live a life of pain and rejection so that I wouldn't have to, but rather so that I would know how to get through it. Holiness means to be set apart for God. We've entered into a generation of Christian where there's no brokenness about sin. There's no hurting about addictions to pornography and sexual sins. There's no hurting about the things that are wrong in your life. There's no hurting about the drunkenness in your life. There's no hurting about us cussing at each other. There's no hurting about hating each other. There's no hurting about division. There's no hurting about jealousy and lifelong addictions. We're okay with hating our fellow men. We're okay with having excuses about our pains. We're okay lashing out at people. We're okay giving people the middle finger on the highway. We're okay with all types of things when are we going to become okay with holiness living after God's heart raising a standard in your life how could anybody tell the difference between the church and the world if the church looks just like the enemy I'm not talking about the way you dress I'm not talking about the piercings you do or don't have I'm not talking about tattoos I'm talking about the condition of your heart your heart 
Because I can see a Christian from a mile away. And I know that person's saved. I know that person is filled with the Holy Ghost. I know that person has God on their side. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 13, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in sin. Don't act like you did before, plain English. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. He didn't say be holy in some that you do. He said be holy in everything you do. Because it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be set apart available to God, church. Don't live according to the same patterns of your old life. Yes, you, your own righteousness won't get you into heaven, but righteousness of God is a requirement in the church. Righteousness is needed in the church. Every time God showed up, his holiness was evident in his presence. It brought on a conviction of sins and self-awareness that we are unclean. Make no mistake about it. The gospel of Jesus is not just about grace and truth. It is about conviction and repentance. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Jesus, when speaking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit, he said this in John 16, 7, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, your Bible might say the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world to be in the sins, about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I am going to the father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world stands condemned Jesus is talking about holiness and he says that when the Holy Spirit comes he'll convict you not condemn you convict you of your sins he will convict you and let you know he will convict you and say this is not right We've been called to live holy, not by a rule book, but by the moral standards of God. Holiness demands that if we are followers of God, walking in his holiness, that we live up to what we say we are. That we put away sinful deeds and desires. Love needs to replace hate. Peace needs to replace worry. And unity needs to replace division. Church, when we did become okay, when did we become okay hating people that we say we're supposed to love? When did it become okay to hate people who God called us to love? When did that become okay? God has called us to live holy. The body of Christ is in trouble. We need holiness to come back into the church. Set apart from the world, set apart from everything. God's calling us to invest time into him. Not five minutes of prayer, not two minutes of prayer, not a scripture in a day. But God wants investments of time. God wants you to sit down for an hour and so and pray. Not for minutes, but God wants you to seek his presence. God wants you to come after him in the secret place. God 
want you to. Could you imagine how much time a week we waste on things that have no eternal value? How many TV shows we watch? If you, if you added up all the time you spent in the movie theaters, and there's nothing wrong with half the stuff, but if you added up all the time, are you spending time in eternal things or in the things of the world? Are you spending time in things that have no eternal value? Don't you want to see God move? What are you here for to feel good? Don't you want to see God's power shown? Don't you want to see hospitals empty out because saints within their healing? Don't you want to see it? Don't you want to see the Holy Spirit fall? Don't you want to see revival? Some folks just want to see God make them happy. And I feel great that I went to church. I don't want to feel great. I want to feel godly. I don't want to feel good. I want to feel God. I want to see God move. He's called me to be set apart for the world. And let me tell you, if you're sitting here shouting amen, I want to let you know what amen means. Amen means so be it for my life. Don't mean it for nobody else around you. Take this preaching to your own heart. Don't sit here shouting amen because you're talking about somebody else. Mean it for your heart. Worry about the, the speck rather not in your neighbor's eye but the law that's in your eye let's be real about this thing that we all have some issues we don't desire prayer we don't desire to cry out to God but yet this is what happened at Pentecost men and women of God got into a place of obedience and cried out with their whole heart and the spirit fell bringing with him the holiness of God bringing the power of God we become too okay with sin we become way too okay with being imperfect we become okay and we have no fruit of repentance repentance meaning a changing from your ways we have no fruit of repentance have you ever known a person who has really bad body odor? Maybe, maybe they, they didn't know they had bad body odor. I, I, I know a couple of folks who got bad body odor and they don't know they have. I, you ever met somebody with really bad breath? And that's the day they want to get real close talking to you? Hi. And you don't want them to use no words that cause a out of their mouth? I'm talking about that serious battery stuff, like that, that really bad breath. You need like a, 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 a Tic Tac with a nine volt battery. Like it's real serious. You can tell they have gingivitis. Something's wrong with their mouth. But they were unaware of it. Maybe somebody with body odor, they were unaware of it. They become accustomed to the stench of their own body. Their hygiene isn't up to par. And they're in a group and everybody notices it but them. And they're walking around like nothing. <laughs> and they're happy to be there just like you are. But you're not so happy they're there because they pretty much stink. Everybody knows somebody. Come on. Everybody knows somebody. And you want to tell them nicely, hey, you, you know, you don't smell so great. And what do they do? What do you do? You want to put cologne on. You want to find some lotion to put on or, or some body spray. And that's just masks the issue that already exists. The issue is they have bad hygiene. Cologne can only go so far. Perfume can only do so much. And that's exactly how sin is in your life. It causes a stench that you're unaware of and people see it. The world sees fake a mile away. It causes a stench. And your perfume is called church on Sunday morning. Your cologne is called church on Sunday morning. But in reality, your heart is far from God. Your hands are lifted, but your heart is running. Because this means surrender. And I don't see a lot of surrender in God's body today. 
This means surrender. We say lift your hands and we lift it as if we're doing Pilates or something. We think we're doing aerobics in church. Just go. Yes, this is awesome. This means surrender. This means not my will, your will. Not my feelings, your feelings. Not my heart, your heart. Not my will, God. This was the echoing, resounding prayer of Christ. Not my will, yours. It's kind of like today we pray, not your will, God, mine. I know what I'm doing. I got this all figured out and God says, no, there's got to be change. Yes, there's got to be change in the church. We become accustomed to the stench of sin. We become so immune to the smell that we walk into God's presence reeking. We like it. We don't want to change. We don't want to live after God. Yes, grace cleans you. Yes, the blood of Jesus, it washes away your sins. But Jesus preached a message saying, repent. Meaning change your ways, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus met the adulterous woman, he said, go and sin no more. When Jesus met the publican, Zacchaeus, and he climbed the tree, and Jesus called him down, he went to his house, and by the time Jesus left, he was repaying four times what he had stolen from people. That's the effect of Christ. Change. And where there is no change, there is no Christ. Where there is no change, there is no God. When you come in contact with a true and living Jesus, alive and powerful, he changes you. When you come in contact with a true God, he changes you. From the deepest part of who you are, he changes you. From the inside out, he changes you. You should not be so accustomed to the things of this world that we don't realize how far we are from God's presence. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2. I'll close with this. The Bible says something that's deep. The Bible says something profound that many people miss. This is missing in the church these days. It's a big thing. The Bible says that after Peter is preached, and mind you, he's full of the Spirit, the presence of God is all over the place and Peter preaches the Bible says this the people were cut to the heart sometimes we read over that line what it means is that they were so convicted of their sins they were so moved they were so touched by the presence of God that it cut them to the heart. The heart means the spirit man. It cut them to their spirit that they had allowed so many things to get them so far from God. Have you ever sat down in a place in your life and evaluated yourself and realized, where did I go wrong? Why am I so far from God? What got in the way of me running this race? The Bible says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted became aware in the presence of a holy God their imperfections they suddenly became aware that oh my God I don't have it all put together I am sinful I am far from where God wants me to be that's what the presence of God does it brings a shrinking feeling over you the presence of God does away with all the illusions that were some great thing the presence of God does away with the thought process that we're so awesome. In comparison to God, church, we are minuscule. 
this whole world, this whole book, this Bible, everything we do, this is God's story. You're an extra in his story. Don't make it about you. Don't make it about what you want and what you desire. The script is already written, and it's written that people would serve a living God. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sins. When the Holy Spirit hits the church, people will come. When the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, people came. You never have to advertise a fire in a street. People see the smoke and they come riding. They'll come off the highway to see what's going on. People are so nosy these days. A fire breaks out. They hear fire trucks and people run. People want to see what's burning. If you would just set yourself on fire with the Holy Spirit, people will come and watch you burn for God. You won't have to advertise. You won't have to put your name out there. There'll be a fire and people will say, God's really moving. It's back to the days of the Bible. The Spirit is moving. God is doing something new. God is renewing His church. But this is after the Spirit falls on the body of Christ. The key ingredient was willing people, willing people in the Bible. This is what our city needs a breakout of the Spirit, like we were singing, Spirit breakout. People who are willing to pay the price of revival, and the price is hours of prayer. The price is, is running away from your will. The price is seeking after God. The price is laying down your life, changing your ways. We must be cut to the heart. We should not be okay with all the conditions still in our lives. And they said to him, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Repent, meaning turn away. Turn away from your life of sin. Turn away from the things that so easily beset you. It's not good enough to be excited about church. It's not good enough to be excited about God. Excitement does nothing. It's unfocused passion. What you need is to be laid low before God. When Pastor P came here talking to the leaders in the back, he said a man on his face before God, it's hard for him to fall from that position. I would challenge you, the position you should take is a lay it out before the presence of God. What shall we do? We, 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 we should seek after God. We should repent and turn from our ways. Change your ways and do an about face. Hebrews 12, 14, it says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness no man will see the Lord Paul writes that you have to make an effort he says make every effort meaning you got to put something into this you got to make every effort you got to put your best into this it does not come easy it does not come cheap it does not come without a cost this thing costs and he says make every effort to live holy to walk away from sinfulness to walk away from the things of this world that in a hundred years won't matter but what will matter is your spirit man what will matter is the choices you made right now this could be a defining moment for you. What matters is what lies ahead of you. Would you stand with me all across this room? This is what matters. Paul said, 
You should make every effort to live in peace and to live holy. To live holy. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want that, if you, if you want to see God move, you want to take the first step. I'm just asking you to lift your hand. If you want to see God move. If you don't, hey, that's, I'm not going to hate on you. I don't, I don't dislike you. I just need to know that I want to see. That's all I want. I don't care about anything. I don't care about cars, houses, money. I just want to see God move. I want to see broken lives restored. I want to see the self-worth of women be restored. I want to see manhood be restored. I want to see men really act like Jesus would want them to act. I want to see men who stand up and lead their families. I want to see it all happen across the nation, across the city. Why not Bridgeport? When Jesus was told that he was from Nazareth, one of his disciples said, does anything good come from Nazareth? But yet what came from Nazareth changed the whole world. Most of Connecticut might hate our city, but yet something good could come of it. If a generation of people would stand up and say, I want holiness. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing that song, Spirit Break God. I'm not going to lead you with a prayer. This is personal. It's between you and God. And those who want it today, you will get it. Those who want to see God move, you will see it move in your heart and in your life. You're going to see it happen. And when you leave this place, it's going to mean you have to make every effort to act different. You got to cut people off, cut them off. You got to run from some friends, run from them. If you got to erase some numbers, erase them. If you got to clean off your computer, clean it off. Whatever you got to do, make every effort. For I am holy. Be holy. I am holy. Be holy. Don't trade short term benefits for long term damnation. Don't trade the goodness of God for the entertainment of the world. Don't trade the power of God for the sinfulness of the world. Don't do it.
Raise your hands right now. I want you to pray in your own heart right now. And say, Lord, my heart isn't cut. Maybe some of you don't feel that, that deep conviction of saying, God, you're so great and holy in comparison to me. And that's what you need to pray. God, my heart has been desensitized. I put up so many walls that you can't get in. I've lived a life of sin for so long that you can't get in. Maybe that's your prayer today. And you want God to break out from the place that you boxed him into. You put God in a corner of your life and you erected walls. And now you're saying, Spirit, break out of what I put you in. I put you in a box and you can't get out. But Lord, I want you to break out from the place in my life that I've hit you in. I want you to break out of the things that I've called you to. I want to break out. I want an outbreak of the Spirit in my life. Come on, at that to your sick God, break out in me. Break me for what breaks you. Break me, Holy Spirit. Break us right now, Jesus. Come on, break our walls down. Break our walls. Come on, break our walls. Spirit, break out. Tell him again, King Jesus. We want 